Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Hope for Healthcare with Dr. Katie Cole in partnership with ICD Healthcare Network. Dr. Katie Cole is a holistic physician, organizational well-being consultant, and change agent, working with industry leaders and proven strategies to heal our national healthcare system and our culture of medicine. Stay tuned to hear today's speaker. Well, welcome everyone to Hope for Healthcare. Today, I have a very, very special guest with us. His name is Corey Feist, and he is an attorney, a healthcare executive with over 20 years of experience, and also the co-founder of the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation. Corey recently served as a chief executive officer of the University of Virginia Physicians Group, comprised of over 1,200 physicians and advanced practice providers. Corey has authored numerous publications on the well-being of the healthcare workforce. He has served as an expert in multiple forums, including keynote speaker, panelist, moderator, as well as provided formal testimony in the United States Congress. And the best part is that Corey is an enthusiastic legislation champion for the health workforce well-being and a powerful change agent for our national movement. Well, welcome, Corey. We are so excited to have you here today on Hope for Healthcare. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Yes. And, you know, can you just, you know, for some of our audience that aren't familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit more about the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation? Sure. Path that led you to wanting to reverse our healthcare crisis? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, as you as you mentioned in in that opening, my career has been pretty much exclusively in the healthcare industry uh, up until this point. Uh, I actually began as an attorney and then my career migrated into policy work, um, business development work, as well as uh, then really more the business side, culminating with running a large medical group or the large medical group for the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. And as as my career progressed, I I began hearing more conversations uh, from from clinicians, primarily physicians, but also nurse practitioners and other nurses about how the practice of medicine is really changing and how the the joy in medicine had been lost. Uh, People weren't always using the term burnout. They weren't using the term well-being, but they were talking about how the joy in their practice was was really uh, beginning to miss. And so uh, I started a lot of very tactical level approaches to that at the University of Virginia and did, made some made some good progress. Um, and then in January, I'm sorry, then in April of 2020, um, my sister-in-law, Dr. Lorna Breen, died by suicide after taking care of patients on the front lines of the pandemic. And, and the response to her death by the country uh, of healthcare workers, uh, given the publicity that it, that her death garnered um, really led Jennifer, uh, my wife and I to co-found the Lorna Breen, the Dr. Lorna Breen Heroes Foundation in June of 2020, just a couple of months after Lorna died, but we were hearing so much from the healthcare workforce about the challenges. And we felt like we were in a somewhat of a unique position based on my skill set and based on the visibility at the time to begin raising awareness for these issues and, and bring solutions. And so our, our work has actually kind of fallen naturally into three discrete buckets, um, raising awareness uh, about the well-being as well as mental health 
of the needs of the healthcare workforce, doctors, nurses, techs, pharmacists, you, you name it. As well, uh, advancing solutions. We know very much so that systems solutions are a key and primary part of supporting the well-being of the workforce. And so we have launched a nationwide initiative with a host of other major health, health industry partners to try to get everyone together to focus on solutions. And then finally, um, on the advocacy front, uh, both at the federal and state and local levels, trying to eliminate barriers to mental health access for healthcare workers, as well as provide resources to health systems uh, around how to take care of their workforce. So that's been the work. We've been at it um, just over two years now, and, uh, and we've, made, we've made some good progress. Uh, my, uh, someone who works with me refers to us as the small but mighty organization. And we, yeah. we tried to be, we tried to be both those things. So yes. It's yes, absolutely, Corey. Well, you know, thank you for turning such a, a tragic situation into a blessing for our organization, well-being community and national healthcare. I, I think that we're all just really appreciative. Um, there's just been so much trauma, especially during the COVID and the pandemic for frontline workers and, and everyone. So you're really an inspiration and your organization is, is, is really, I think, has a powerful voice right now. So I just want to recognize that. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. We're trying, we're trying our best. Uh, as long as we keep getting invitations, we'll keep saying yes. So yeah, well, Corey, I mean, you're wearing so many hats as part of this foundation. You have so many different aspects of um, healthcare policy and change that you're trying to impact. Can you tell us a little bit more about the advocacy front? And I know that you um, recently were able to pass the Lorna Breen Law. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Absolutely. We would love to. So it's interesting. Um, one, when I mentioned shortly after Lorna died, we heard from a lot of people. We heard from governors of states. We heard from senators and local members of Congress. But one, one individual really stood out in the pack, and that was the United States Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia. And he actually has a son who's been in the military. So he was very aware of the challenges that the military has had. He also sits on a committee at, um, called the, the HELP Committee, um, which, which Health, um, Education, Labor, Pensions Committee. So that means he actually sits on a congressional committee that can impact this work. So he, he came to me and he said, hey, you know, expressing his condolences, but how can I help? Uh, I honestly, I've joked that I, I don't think he realized at the time when he asked that he was going to get a 20-point bulleted reply to that. But, but that work began in the summer of 2020. And it's, it laid the foundation for the Dr. Lorna Breen Healthcare Provider Protection Act, which is the first ever federal law focused on the well-being of the, of the healthcare workforce. And, and I want to point out something. We believe this is the starting point of a, I've called it a staircase of, of, of law that we're trying to build here and policy to support the workforce. And it, it, so it's not the solution. It's the first few steps. And I would also just point out as I go through this law and what it does is that we developed this law before we were really deeply in the, you know, we weren't even a year into the pandemic. We were just a couple months into the pandemic. And so the magnitude of the pandemic has not really even necessarily been captured in what we did here. Um, oh, and, but, but you know, and so, like I said, though, it's it's you have to start somewhere. So we're starting with the first few steps of, of this staircase. 
So let me tell you just very briefly about it. And then I want to share with you a little bit about what we heard, because what we heard in response is 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 where we're focused now. So there are four main provisions of the law. The first two are very, very similar, and they are um, grants to hospitals and health systems to take care of their workforce well-being. Those programs in the first category of the four are focused on the current workforce. In the second category, it's focused on uh, healthcare trainees, okay. you know, medical students, nursing students, et cetera. Great, great. Um, the federal government, through its arm at HRSA, has already allocated $105 million worth of grants in those first two buckets. They actually allocated them before we even got the law passed. That's incredible. And we, it, it's, yeah. it's amazing. That and, really is, yes. Um, and there's another- <laughs> A little bit of hope to us, so. Well, yeah, and, and I was just going to say, there's um, we're hoping, as you mentioned, hope, uh, that in the- congressional budget year that begins October of 2022, mm-hmm. that we're going to get another 50 million. So we're hoping that it will also, that will, that will be, be felt. So, so those are the first two pieces. The third piece is, is a call I actually just got off of, which is uh, the Centers for Disease Control is running a two-year uh, social impact campaign focused oh, wow. on healthcare, healthcare employers and individuals. Um, focused on on well-being, and they're looking at system solutions primarily here in this nationwide awareness campaign. I can share you with that with you because we are engaged as formal advisors on that on that initiative with the CDC and their and their their arm NIOSH, which is their the arm within CDC that is looking out actually for the occupational safety of the healthcare workforce. So that's a, a whole segment of CDC. So. We're acting as advisors on that. So those are the first three components of the law. The fourth component of the law is the comprehensive study provision, uh, which we believe will and hope will be heavily informed by the work that the Surgeon General has just issued in his advisory, as well as the National Academy of Medicine has has been developing in their work and, and all of the others. But what what's important about that component of the law is that it will help us build that staircase, if you will, and it will allow us a roadmap. Uh, maybe it'll it'll give us the blueprints for the staircase to keep, stick kick with that uh, analogy. So that's where we're going, and that's the law. Um, and and it's it's really uh, it's it's been great. I actually just recently heard from um, an individual who is helping to coordinate some of the assessment of what's going on in the, there's almost almost 50 health systems across the country now. Um, and obviously a health system's got lots more hospitals than just one. So, so probably hundreds of, hundreds of hospitals are right now the beneficiary of, of the grants, but uh, we're, we're, we're trying to bring them together. Uh, so, so let me just very briefly then share with you the, the response and then I'll, then I'll pause for breath. Um, the response by the workforce has been overwhelming and has really bucketed into three areas. The first is one of gratitude and appreciation, which still uh, causes me to pause and just kind of look around and go, oh my gosh, Lorna would be, uh, you know, one of those things she, she would, she, I think she'd be tickled, but uh, this thing got named after her, but, but people have said, you've helped us change. You've helped us really change healthcare uh, for the better and forever. And, and that's a, a, a bold statement, but we've received it now a no, number of times. The, the second is, how can you help us eliminate the persistent mental health barriers that apply to doctors and nurses 
from a, um, in their licensure questions and in their credentialing questions mm-hmm. um, help us. And then the third is what can you do on the administrative burden side? And so we're working on all of those uh, on all those areas, but but I did want to share with you that that we continue to hear very very consistent feedback from the healthcare community in response to the law. Well, I mean that is that's great news, Corey, and I think it's validating that you're on the right track, and you know you are kind of one of the change agents, and the and you are paving the road ahead of time, and you were pretty progressive a couple of years ago, and the timing was mm-hmm. perfect to launch your foundation um, right when we really needed somebody being able to advocate for us in the healthcare community. So thank you. And um, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at what we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. And I know that you mentioned that you're trying to bring these, like, I think you said that there's a hundred healthcare organizations that are part of the grant funding for organizational well-being and education research and strategy implementation. So how are, what is your idea of bringing these um, healthcare organizations together? So we created an initiative early, uh, um, I guess it was just over a year ago called All In Wellbeing First for Healthcare. Okay. And All In Wellbeing First for Healthcare, uh, the website's allinforhealthcare.org, has is is a is focused on two main things. It is focused first on advancing solutions okay. to support systems solutions to support the well-being of the workforce, and it is also also focused on um, eliminating the persistent barriers to mental health access for the workforce. Mm-hmm. So, with regard to that first bucket, um, one of the things that we are doing. Well, the first thing we did was we created a steering committee, which we call tier one collaborators. And it has over a dozen large organizations, which really span the healthcare landscape. The Schwartz Center for Compassionate Healthcare, the American Nursing Foundation, the Black Nurses Association, the, the Filipino Nurses Association, American Medical Association, American Hospital Association, list goes on and on. Okay. IHI, IHI is an important one because they're, they're, the, they're the linkage here with that, those, those grantees. Um, that's the Institute for Health Improvement focused on quality, which most people are aware of. But, but the one of, so we've worked on the well-being five as the first, as the first and immediate steps that the workforce or the, sorry, health systems should be providing to support the workforce. We did that with a group of industry experts. And so our, so those are our initial solutions, if you will. Okay. And one of the things that we're doing there is we are scaling those. And one of the, and one of the ways we're scaling them is we're taking a state approach. Um, actually, in Virginia, where I'm based, uh, the Ho- Virginia Hospital Association, Medical Society, and Nursing Association have created an initiative where we're going through basically a curriculum of the well-being five. And we're, we're, we're elevating case examples and, and those sorts of things. So we're going through all of that. So we also in parallel, we'll be convening or attempting to convene, um, and we haven't gotten the details of this worked out you, with IHI in partnership with IHI, which sits on our steering committee, um, either groups, small groups or large groups of these award recipients for the Lorna Breen Act grant and trying to understand what are they doing, um, what are they finding, and how we can then amp- take their lessons learned and really serve as a megaphone for this work. In our all-in work, we have been, we've had great success both 
speaking in communication channels inside the healthcare industry, as well as outside of the healthcare industry, engaging, for example, with the Hollywood show writers um, of the television program New Amsterdam and many others who are writing these who are writing these um, these themes into their shows, but but it, it will be that kind of a megaphone that we placed on the best practices of these large health system or not large these health health system grantees. Um, just to be abundantly clear, because I'm talking to you in July, the um, the awards were made of those grants in January. So at this point, you know we're looking at you know, these organizations are six or seven months into the work. So we right. want to give them a little bit of time to mature so that they have something to share that can be meaningful. But we've made we've made a commitment to help to help share those best practices because we know that money is a finite resource. We know this is an evolving area and we know that we have a skill in amplifying and, and, and being a megaphone for voices um, and best practices. And we want to be able to do that. Wow, that's, thank you so much, Corey. That was a lot of information that you kind of really helped unpack for me and our audience today. Um, I think you're very unique because I think you're one of the only organizations I've talked to that is really pulling all this information together in such a comprehensive manner. Well, thank you. I mean, we're, we're also, it's very interesting because now that we are serving as advisors um, to the CDC, the other skill that we're developing is we're learning what messages are, are going to resonate with both health system leaders and individuals. And we haven't, there's no information there to share other than that we will be gaining that insight to this evolving area as we go through test audiences and things like that as we develop this national uh, campaign. So it's it's an exciting time for us. It's an exciting time and, an, and a hopeful time uh, for for the healthcare industry right now. Um, as you've mentioned, it's 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 needed now more than ever. Well, and what I really love about the work that you're doing, Corey, is that, you know, we've talked about how healthcare is just so siloed. And by what I mean by that is everything is just so separate. Like even in the same organization, if there's something, a program about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's not woven into the fabric of the organization. It's a separate department that's handling it. So everything is so siloed. And we've talked about in our conferences and our other conversations together, how important it is to bring all the different key players and stakeholders together in order to in, impact change. And one of the ways is accountability. So when healthcare organizations are held accountable for implementing diversity, equity, and inclusion along with well-being, then it makes all the difference in the world. But when we have salute, practical solutions to give these healthcare organizations and leaders a roadmap, it, it really pulls everything together. So it's important to have both aspects in place. I totally agree. And I would just say the my entire career, I've made a practice of identifying people in, who are working in those silos and bringing them together to get them to work together. And that's exactly the design that we created when we created All in Wellbeing First for Healthcare, which was okay, we are going to get the nurses in there. We're going to get the techs. We're going to get the, the docs. We're going to get everybody in the pool. We're inviting everyone to the party. <laughs> and we are going to, and we're going to work on this together. You know, this is, even though this is a, this is something that's been percolating for a while, we know that the best practices have not kind of scaled the industry. And we also know that now more than ever, resources are constrained in health systems. And so this is not an area that we, that there's just a, a, a you know, 
buckets of cash in in the drawers of CFOs in in health systems across America that 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 just they can throw at this at this initiative. And so if we can learn from each other in real time and evolve the work in real time, then my my hypothesis is we will make much better progress. This is not too dissimilar to the quality movement that was that that was most kind of the most recent big change movement in healthcare um, over the last ten or fifteen years. And and what we saw at the at the outset of that movement was people coming together and sharing best practices in a collaborative manner. So we're we're following that model. Oh, that's great, Corey. And um, I just, you know, I can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing. I think that's, it, it's one thing to talk about these ideas. And I know there's been a lot of awareness over the past decade and a lot of research on burnout and our healthcare crisis, but to actually see you implementing changes and seeing change happening, I think provides a lot of hope for everyone. Thank so. you so much, Katie. Really appreciate being here today and really appreciate yeah. the opportunity to be doing this work. Absolutely. Um, you know, Corey, you know, for our CEOs and healthcare leadership and even frontline workers listening today, you know, is there any key messages you want to give them or any way that they can start getting involved now or how they can get become aware of the current best practices for implementing these strategies? Absolutely. Uh, the first would be to go to, to go to our website, drlornabreen.org, and take a look at the resources we have. Uh, join our all-in our all-in membership. It costs no no money to do. And, and in that all-in on the all-in website, we have the top five things listed there. And we actually have a an introductory session that we recorded with the Short Center for Compassionate Healthcare, um, where they can learn about those top five things. And those are not just what I came up with, by the way. Those are data-driven solutions that um, every health system in this country can and should be implementing right now. They're not intended to be long-term, um, you know, take take years to develop. They are, they are intended to be things that can be actionable. So those that would be the big thing. And, and join this community. Um, the last comment I would make to health system leaders and others is, I, re I really believe there will be two ways that this work truly takes hold and becomes part of the fabric of, of healthcare moving forward. The first is, to have the leadership buy into this work and really model the behaviors that need to that need to you know be exhibited, the second is to evolve the culture at the same time. Whenever you're trying to 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 implement a, a change initiative, and this is this is a change initiative at, at the end of the day, you need a culture that's going to be accepting of it, and it, we will go much much further in this work to support the well-being of the workforce when our health system leadership recognizes the value here and understands the connection between the work and the worker mm -hmm. and the culture in a health system evolves simultaneously to be accepting of it. You know, I, I've talked a lot about how when my sister-in-law contracted COVID and went back to work way too early, mm. she was, she didn't have, there was no, the culture in that organization was not necessarily one where she was called out or, you know, taken aside just to say, hey, you're sick, go home. She was so worried, in fact, about the opposite half. She was so worried that someone would recognize that she would, she couldn't keep up in a pandemic when she was very, very ill. It, yeah. And thinking about it in retrospect is crazy, but, but 
the cultural piece of this is so critical because if you can create a culture where the workforce is looking out for each other, you can literally save lives. Mm-hmm. And that's, so those are, those are, those are my two big messages other than join us, be a part of this community. Um, we're growing the community. We're sharing best practices. Mm-hmm. This is the right thing to do. Um, and right now when you have a workforce shortage, like we do, we have to create environments where those workers are going to thrive. Otherwise you're going to recruit these people in and they're just going to leave. Absolutely. Well, and you bring up a really good point, Corey, because you can try to implement change in a healthcare system, but if the culture isn't changing simultaneously, it's not going to adapt the new ways and there's going to be a lot of resistance. And so changing the culture of healthcare and medicine is paramount. It it is. And it's going to take, it's a role that every single person can play. You know, there's often, you know, there's this evolving helplessness that I see and hear from healthcare workers of all shapes and sizes and types. But one thing that everyone can own a piece of is what is the culture, at least in their sphere of influence, the area that they're working, that's, that's, that's big and it's very impactful. And so, and it can be empowering as well to give people the permission to create their own little microcultures within health systems and do this work themselves. Yes. And, you know, you've mentioned a lot that, you know, everyone's voice is important and necessary, including patients. And so when we talk about changing the culture of medicine, even for patients, I'm a patient too, you're a patient, any patient listening today, this is really, really important messaging. And that even you can make a difference. If you go in and you see that your doctor is burned out, your nurse is burned out today, things aren't going well in the office, people are stressed, you know, there are resources available for your healthcare team that you can even point them in the direction today. So, you know, in order to change our culture of healthcare, we have to, it involves every aspect and every person. And, and let me, can I just take 30 more seconds here uh, on the, on the patient side for a second? Cause I want to share two things. And one is a lot of patients may not know that the, that there's a, there's an increasing amount of um, anger, aggression, violence towards the healthcare workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as recently as uh, this summer, uh, a, a physician was shot in a hospital. But, 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 and that's an extreme example. But, but I heard just yesterday from a senior physician about how uh, she is being harassed on social media by patients, um, how there are threats to healthcare workers. I was in a, I was physically touring a hospital recently where they were talking about attacks by patients on healthcare workers. Wow. Folks, we're not going to have anybody to take care of us if we literally are abusing them, if they're doing their job. Mm-hmm. And so patients, the general public needs to understand that this is an increasing source of burnout. Um, for nurses, this is something that has been part and co- a contributor of their burnout for quite some time, um, violent patients. But this is in, there's a new day and a new chapter, and, and people need to be aware of it and recognize that uh, now more than ever, we've got to support our healthcare workforce. And so, in some ways, we can do it just by just by being respectful and courteous and 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 avoiding that kind of behavior. Even even though lines are long and waits are long now, uh, the the a lot of health systems have you know a fraction of the workforce, just like every other industry. Uh, uh, but now it's it's gotten worse. And so the last thing I would say is is kind of on the other side of that coin. I ran into someone recently who said, you know, every time I go into my physician's office and I pass a nurse or a doctor, I make sure to ask them how they're doing. I make sure to say to the physician or provider, hey, or um, when was the last time you took a bio break? Why don't you take 
the next five minutes of my exam because I'm fine. Go and use the use the ladies' room or the men's room. Get a cup of water. Take a break. It's 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 funny, but there are a lot of healthcare workers who are like, yeah, I haven't used the bathroom all day. I've been on my shift nine hours. Like, I don't know how you do that, but no, you know, I there's you just exactly. And I'm still right? in the front line, Corey. And honestly, yeah. every once in a while, one of my patients says, "Dr. Cole, you know, how are you today?" I it catches me off guard because I'm right. not used to to that yeah. like you know, circular relationship and it, and it really makes a difference. So thank you for that. Thank you. Sure. And it doesn't cost a nickel. Like a lot of this stuff really doesn't cost anything. And it really helps yeah. us recognize the sacrifices that we're all making and the humanity of all of this. So, so I just, I throw both of those out there because, um, because they're part of this and they're part of the solution set. Yep. Absolutely. Well, gosh, Corey, are there any, is there any other last points that you want our audience to hear about today or um, any other messages that you want to make sure get communicated? Absolutely. Um, And this is one that actually ties back to my messages to the, to the healthcare leadership. So in September of 2021, uh, we published an article in U.S. News and World Report where we identified the six barriers to mental health access by the healthcare workforce. And that four of the six all are questions that appear on different kinds of applications, whether that be a credentialing application in a hospital, a credentialing application to be on a panel in an insurance company, a credentialing application to get malpractice insurance, an application for licensure or relicensure or board certification, the like. There, many of these questions ask about the prior mental health of healthcare professionals, doctors and nurses. And and they have been held up, those questions have been held up as a significant, and I would would proffer to say the significant barrier to mental health access by our doctors and nurses. Um, On January 21st, Medscape published a survey and they said to 13,000 doctors, why aren't you getting help for your depression or burnout. And the number one barrier that those doctors identified was, I'm worried about getting reported to my medical board. Mm -hmm. So in response to that, we have created a toolkit, which lives on our website, which has a three-step approach that applies Mm -hmm. in any one of those domains that I just articulated for you. And it involves auditing questions, including peer, um, peer references by hospitals, um, changing questions, and we've got three different models for changing those questions, and then communication tools to let the workforce know about the, about the changes that have been made. For us, we've heard, from so, you know, we've heard from so many across the healthcare industry that this is a big problem. Um, and beyond that data, this is also very personal for us because this was the one thing, the last thing that Lorna talked about before she died. Mm -hmm. She received mental health treatment only one time ever in her life. It was when we had to pull her out of New York because she was so traumatized and overly burdened by what she was seeing in the emergency department. But in response to getting mental health treatment, she was convinced she was gonna lose her license to practice. And we've heard that from so many. Now, in Lorna's case, the tragedy on top of the tragedy is that she was misinformed about the licensure questions in the state of New York, where she practiced. In fact, New York State doesn't even have questions on their licensure application or reapplication. So she was misinformed about that. I can't speak to the other six or seven other areas that we know about generally. And so she may have been speaking about licensure in a more general sense, but it is very 
very much um, it's improving. There is hope here. I know we're on the hope podcast, so there is hope for this because as you were talking earlier about how we're making an immediate impact, I just spoke yesterday with uh, a half dozen organizations. They were all using our toolkit. They were all changing their credentialing questions. And then I heard about a board of medicine recently that literally had our toolkit printed out at their board meeting and were sharing the toolkit with the board of, board of medicine to change their licensure questions. So these are simple. They take days, not weeks, not months. They cost no money and they have immediate life-saving impact. So Absolutely. The, 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 the barriers to mental health access can be resolved uh, for our doctors and nurses. And now more than ever, they need it. Well, that's, I mean, Corey, that's great feedback that you talked to six organizations yesterday that are using your toolkit. And yep. I, I really love how you keep talking about these are simple strategies. You've already been a CEO and a healthcare executive for decades. You know that, you know, starting with anything, it's you have to start small and scale. And the simpler the process is, the easier it is to implement. So I'm really grateful that you've really helped to explain how how really some of these changes can be very simple and the resources are available on your website and all in for healthcare. Absolutely. Happy to do it. And that's, that's exactly right. We've got to give, we've got to give our health systems right now, tangible things that they can do to begin this conversation in a lot of cases or matured in others, but for many health systems, this is really a beginning point. So we understand the first few steps of a staircase um, require those small, those small things, but they go a long way and they set a tone and they help, they help evolve the culture. They help to evolve that workplace to a place where the workforce can thrive so that they can take the best care of patients. Absolutely. And we deserve that, you know, and as physicians, we refer our patients every day to therapy and to counseling and to coaching and, and even nutrition counseling. And yet we don't ever tell each other, Hey, have you considered getting a coach or have you considered getting a therapist? So I'm as a psychiatrist, I'm really happy to hear that this movement is happening finally, because, you know, I've been dealing with mental health stigma for decades and it's been very frustrating on my for my career as well because I haven't been able to reach the physicians that I wanted to that desperately needed the help. So thank you, Corey, for the work you're doing. Of course, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to say today before we wrap up? No, I think that's it, Katie. Just I mean, we've covered pretty much the waterfront as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. Just really, really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Um, and and I hope you are taking care of yourself, my friend, uh, in all of this work. But, um, you know, this is a team sport and we're in this as, as part of the team. And so if folks want to reach out, they can find information at drlornabreen.org. They can reach out to me directly. We can uh, have further conversations because we do want to be a resource for for um, for the healthcare community. Absolutely, and for all of you listening, uh, Corey will have his own web page on my website with all of this information, articles linked, his website, and then I will be posting on social media as well. So you'll have access to everything from today. All right, well, great. Thank you, Corey. Thank you so much for, I know you're super sure. busy and I just appreciate yeah. you taking time out of your schedule to, to take a moment and talk with our audience. And um, I look forward to, hearing your next projects and, and staying up to date on what you're doing. So thank thanks, you. Katie. Thanks for all you're doing. And thanks for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure to do these kind of things. And um, uh, I'm glad we were able to schedule it. So, so let me know how I can help and how I can partner in the future. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, Corey. All right, Katie, take care.
You too.